We're in a series called Get in the Game. It's all about relationships. And today we're going to take a look at the meaning of one verse and the application of it out of Romans chapter 12. If, you, if you're going to understand this verse in Romans 12, you have to understand Romans 1 through 11 about God's reconciliation of mankind through the righteousness of Jesus Christ, his life, burial, and resurrection for our sins. It is the power of the gospel that brings peace between ourselves and God. And Paul talks about that in Romans 1 through 8, our personal reconciliation. In 9 through 11, he talks about the history of Israel and how God's going to reconcile them back to himself. But then there's this transition. In chapter 12, he talks about how we can be reconciled with each other. So this weekend, I'm going to talk about how to do that. As I look back on 40 plus years of ministry, people I've talked with, people that I have counseled, without a shadow of a doubt, the number one thing that I get asked to talk about is navigating conflict. Conflict at work. Conflict with our spouses. Conflict with our kids. Conflict with boys and girls. Conflict between leaders in Cameroon. And why is this? Because we live in a broken world. So one of the most important skills that you can learn is how to resolve conflict. It is essential for your happiness. If you want to have a miserable life, if you want to have miserable relationships, don't take any notes whatsoever, okay? Just let this go in one ear and out the other ear. But if you want to have peace, then you need to take some good notes. Today I'm going to teach you seven biblical principles on how to resolve conflict. And if you practice these, I guarantee you they will decrease the stress in your relationships. Now, I love how honest the Bible is. God recognizes that we are going to have conflicts in our lives because we have broken relationships. And so he says this in Romans 12, 17 and 18. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Now stop right there. What's he talking about there? When someone pushes your hot button, you can't push their hot button back. When someone gets mad at you, you can't get mad at, back at them. If someone gets angry at you, you can't get angry at them. If You can't retaliate. And he goes on, as much as possible, as far as it depends on you, live in peace with everyone. Now, I'm glad God did not leave this verse out of the Bible because he says, as much as possible, as far as it depends on you. What is God saying here? What is God saying about himself? Simply this, that he's a realist. He's saying, I'm a realist, and I recognize that there are some people who are difficult to be at peace with. And understand this, it's not your fault. Isn't that comforting? You try to appease them. You try to please them. 
And they are just unpleasable. Their emotional needs are so great that no matter what you do, it doesn't matter. Do you know anybody like that? Don't look at them right now, okay? You want peace. You don't want to argue. You don't want war. You don't want conflict. But it happens. And God comes along and he says, I'm a realist. I know you can't control them, but you can control you. Circle the word you. So far as it depends on you, live at peace. Now, why does God have this as a goal for us? Well, it's because unresolved conflict uh, has three devastating results in our life. Will you write these down real quickly? The first one is this, that it blocks my fellowship with God. When I am in, out of whack with you, I am going to be in, out of harmony with God. I'm not going to have a clear connection with God. Did you know that that is what happens? Take a look at 1 John 4.20. The person who says, I love God and hates his neighbor is a liar. The Bible says you can't love God and hate your neighbor at the same time. Time. So every time I'm out of whack with somebody, it's going to ruin my fellowship with God. The second thing is that it hinders my prayers. It prevents answers to my prayers. Did you know that that is what happened? Take a look at 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect <clears throat> so that nothing will hinder your prayers. PG, do you mean when I am out of sorts with my wife, when I am out of whack with my wife, God doesn't answer my prayers? Is that what you're saying? No, I'm not saying that. God is saying that. <laughs> he says, you know what, if you're not, you have you ever thought that maybe why you're not prospering relationally, financially, with your families, in your careers, could be that you are not united with the person that you're married to. God is a triune God, and the world was produced through the unity of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The third reason is that it impedes my happiness. You can't be happy and in conflict at the same time. When, when conflict one comes in the front door, you know what goes out the back door. Happiness. And so, it hurts my fellowship with God. It hinders my prayers of being answered. And it impedes my happiness. So, today... How do you get there? How do you take one verse and apply it to your life? Number one, if you're going to resolve conflict and be at peace, I don't care who it's with, number one, you got to take the initiative. You don't wait for them to come to you. You go to them. You be the peacemaker. Meaning, you don't ignore the problem. 
You don't deny it. You don't sweep it under the rug. You don't pretend that it doesn't exist, which raises the question, what is it that you're pretending in your relationships that isn't a problem, but in reality, it is? Your sex life, trust, in-laws, family, kids, money, work schedule. Early on in my marriage with Cheryl, I was an artful dodger. I'm a pastor. I like everyone to go home happy with a piece of candy. Except for today, I want you to have my chili. It's better than anyone else's out there. With hot dogs. And for the first four years, we avoided conflict until one day Cheryl, not me, said, enough is enough. We learned that conflict is never resolved on the run, and nor is it resolved through time. Have you heard the phrase, time heals all wounds? There's a Greek word for that. It's called baloney, okay? (laughs) Time has nothing to do with it. If it did, guess what? We wouldn't need to go see a doctor. Truly, some wounds left unattended can turn into gangrene. And so problems in relationships can get worse if you ignore them. Anger can turn into resentment. Resentment into bitterness. Bitterness into hate. And I've seen it happen. And so I must first take the initiative. Now here's the deal with taking an initiative. You have to do it face to face with that individual. And here's the deal about that. We don't like to do that. We like to avoid face-to-face confrontations. And so in order to have a face-to-face talk about the issues, you've got to address three things. I've learned this in 45 years of marriage. First, you have to deal with your fear. Then you have to know how to set up what I call a peace conference meeting. And then you need to know what you do in that meeting. First, you have to learn how to deal with your fear. It is interesting to me, as I study human behavior, is that that we like to talk with everybody about the problem, except the person who's the problem. Well, Pastor George, I'm scared. I understand. It's human nature. Men are worst at this. If I've seen men who are what I would call are macho men, and yet they melt like jello when their wives say, Honey, we need to talk. <laughs> that phrase strikes fear into the heart of every macho man. We just don't want to confront it. We want to hide from it. Now this has been a problem though since the beginning of time. Adam and Eve, take a look at Genesis chapter 3, 10. I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and so I hid. When it says, it talks about naked, it means I was exposed. I was vulnerable. You could see me for who I was, and I was afraid. So what I did is I hid. And mankind has been hiding from God 
ever since. That is why God initiated the reconciliation in Romans chapter 1. God initiated. And we've been hiding from God from the beginning of time. And men and women have been hiding from one another. How do I know that? Because each of them covered up. Now, why is that the case? Why do we hide? Because you and I fear exposure. Maybe the exposure of our emotions. Those might be revealed. And so that fear creates problems in our relationships. You become distant. You start hiding. You become defensive uh, through accusing and excusing. Accusing the others and excusing yourself. You become demanding because you want to be in control. You see, it's fear that keeps you and I from really being able to be intimate with one another. When I say that, I'm not talking about sex here, folks. I'm talking about being open and transparent. Truly, most people have never experienced what I call a soul-to-soul relationship because they're open and transparent with one another. Why? What prevents that? Fear. You and I fear our emotions of it. We fear being rejected. We fear being misunderstood. There is a book called Why Am I Afraid to Tell You Who I Am? It is a good read. The answer to that question is simply this, because I am, because I am all that I've got. If I reveal to you who I really am, all the good, the bad, and the ugly, all my flops, failures, and fumbles, and you don't like me, guess what? I'm sunk. So what I do is I will wear a mask in that relationship. Where do you and I get the courage to take off the mask, to be real with others? Well, folks, you get it from God. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us a spirit of timidity or fear, but of power, love, and self-control. And you and I need all three of those things in our relationship, especially love, because perfect love casts out fear. When your love is greater than your fear, you will do amazing things in your relationship. You will run into a burning building for that person. And so the prayer that you pray is God, I'm scared to death. But through your spirit, will you fill me up with love? So first you have to deal with fear. The next thing that you have to do is you need to know how to set up a meeting. I hope you're taking good notes. You may not need this now, but I guarantee you, you will need it in the future, okay? And if you don't need it, I'm sure someone else, maybe one of your kids that are growing up in a newfound marriage, okay? You need to know how to set up a meeting. And one of the things you have to know is how to deal with the timing of it all. Timing is everything. Oh, thanks, Pastor George. I'm glad you shared that. I'll just wait till they come and talk with me. No, 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 no. As far as it depends on who, you be at peace. God has called you and I 
to be peacemakers. Take a look at Matthew 5, 22 and 23. If you're standing before the altar in the temple, in other words, he's talking about worship here, okay? Giving an offering to God, and you suddenly remember someone has something against you. You don't have anything against them, but they've got something against you. Leave your offering there beside the altar. Go at once. Will you circle that? And first be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your gift to God. Will you write this down? Reconciliation is more important than worship. Let me ask you this. Do you like to worship? Sure you do. I mean, you like to sing songs. You like to hear a message. You want to hear some practical application on how to apply that message. Obviously you do. You've carved out time before the Cowboys Super Bowl or Cowboys game, okay, to be here at church. But God says that there is something more important reconciliation. He says, leave your gift and go get it right. Now, what does that mean for us on this Sunday? Simply this, that if you leave before the offering, we know why. Think about that, okay? (laughs) We all know, boy, there must be some conflict going in that relationship there, okay? What is Jesus saying here? Simply this, and it doesn't matter whether you are the offender or the offended. Don't ignore it. Take the initiative. Be the peacemaker. And so you got to plan a sit-down, face-to-face meeting. And one of the components is timing. And when is the best timing? When you are at your best. you got to choose the right place. You just don't do it anywhere. You choose the right place where you can be, where, where both can be relaxed, where, where it's quiet, where both can express the emotions that are on their heart, where you know that you won't be bothered by others. You choose the right prayer. God, I'm scared to death. Fill me up with your spirit, especially of love. And you choose to have a positive attitude. To come into that meeting, to not be demeaning or demanding or disabled or disagreeable, but to make things better. Why do we do all these things? Simply because we don't want to be out of fellowship with God. We want our prayers to be unhindered. And we want to be happy. The second biblical step of applying Romans 12, 17 and 18, is this. You confess your part of the conflict. They may be 99% right, and you are only 1% wrong. Or they may be 99% wrong, and you are only 1% wrong. But you start off by confessing your 1%. That's called humility. You don't start with condemning or accusing, or attacking statements. Rather, you start off with a statement of humility, dealing with your part. Take a look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 3. Why do you notice the little piece of dust in your friend's eye, but you don't notice the big piece of wood in your own eye? Circle the word first. Take the wood out of your own eye, 
Then you will see clearly to take the dust out of your friend's eye. Folks, humility is at the core of this verse. First, take the wood out of your own eye, which means I need to start asking myself questions. Am I being realistic? Am I being ungrateful? Am I being insensitive? Am I being oversensitive? Am I being demeaning or demanding? You ask yourself those questions. Now the number one excuse, not reason, but excuse for relational failure is incompatibility. Let me let you in on a little secret about incompatibility. It is a myth. It doesn't exist. Two people can get along if both would grow up. If both would put aside their selfish agendas. Think about this. Let me give you an example. Everybody is different, right? You, if you're married, did not marry a person just like you. If that were the case, one would not be needed. Everybody's different. And so in one sense, we are all incompatible with each other. But here's the deal. You add on top that we are all different, the fact of my nature. My nature is to be self-centered. My nature is to be stubborn. My nature is to think of me. This morning I woke up and I thought of me. I thought, God, I need my McDonald's coffee. Now don't look at me as if I'm the only one that falls into this camp. We all think of ourselves. So think about that. We're all different. And so most relationships do not die because of incompatibility. They die because of inflexibility. I am unwilling to move. I am unwilling to take the first step. I am unwilling to show humility. Have you ever seen a couple stuck because of their pride? They can't get on and they can't get out of it. All because of their pride. They are trapped. They are like a log jam. Except it is a relational log jam. How do you free up a relational log jam? One word. Humility. You make the first move. You say, you know what? I'm sorry. I was only thinking of myself. Humility. The third biblical principle to resolve conflict that Paul talks about here in Romans 12 is this. Listen for the hurt. You've heard me say this in this series, every message. Hurt people hurt people. When someone is hurting you, it's because they are hurting somewhere in their life. 
It may be emotionally. It may be physically. It may be financially. It may be vocationally. It could be a number of different areas. And so when you're hurting because of a relationship, you have to listen for the hurt in the midst of that conflict. And it doesn't matter whether that is in marriage or the marketplace or even in the Middle East, okay? Now, ladies, I need to bring you up to speed on this. When it comes to this hurt, when it comes to guys, they will deny it. Guys deny hurts, okay? When there is a conversation going on, they will not say, you know what you said hurt me. I don't know that my wife has ever heard me say those words. I've heard her say those words. But I don't know that guys say those words. Instead, they give seven reasons why what you just said was wrong. They, they, become, they, they, they bring out a legal brief with all the points of what you just said is wrong. They will never admit, you know what you said just hurt me. We got one. So if you want to connect with them, or as far as that goes, with anybody else, you got to start with their needs. You start with their hurts. So how do you do that? Well, James tells us, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Will you circle the word listen? First, you listen. And you do that to pick up two things. But first, understand, you listen first. You listen because God has given you two ears and one mouth, and he wants you to listen twice as much as you speak. And so through listening, you will begin to understand circumstances, background, personality, temperament. And as you listen and gather these facts, you focus in on two things. Take a look at Romans 15, 2. We must be considered about the doubts, circle that, and the fears, circle that, of others. Folks, I have got doubts and fears, and you have got doubts and fears. And many times in conflict, what is driving that conflict is doubts and fears. And so I need to listen for them if I want to make progress in bringing peace into the relationship. The fourth thing is this. You consider their perspective. The way they look at things. Their point of view. You intentionally shift from your needs to their needs. From you winning the argument to their needs. I have seen people in this church over the last 30 years who come in and sit one chair from the other. They're kind of out here. You know what I'm talking about? They're sitting here and they're over there. You can feel the tension. You can cut it with a knife. But after the singing, after God's word has been shared about health and wholeness in our relationships with God and with others, they look at each other. One moves one chair closer. 
This is the issue in relationships. Who's going to move one chair closer? Who's going to start the conversation? Who's going to start seeing it from the other person's perspective? Take a look at Philippians 2, 4 and 5. Each of you, circle you, should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Will you circle the word look? The word there in the Greek is skopos. It's the word that we use for telescope or, or microscope. Paul's saying you and I need to look intently at the needs for the needs of other people. So will you write this down? You are most like Christ when you pay attention to other people's needs. And people have five emotional needs in their life. Our whole discipleship process at LifePoint is to meet these emotional needs because that way you can become a fully functioning follower of Christ. And here they are. Write these down. Support. Security. Self-expression. Significance. And stimulation. Those are the basic emotional needs that people have. But Pastor George, what about my needs? That's simple. Trust God with them. David says in Psalms 139, God, you notice everything that I do and you know everywhere that I go. Folks, when you realize that God is on your team because you are after his interests and his agenda, that he is everywhere that you go and he knows all your needs, that gives you a freedom to meet other people's needs. The fifth biblical step is this, tell the truth tactfully. At this face-to-face -face peace conference, you speak the truth in love. Because if you don't, you're going to be on the opposite side of God. Take a look at Proverbs 12, verse 18. Reckless words. What, what are reckless words? Let me tell you what reckless words are. Those are those words that we've spoken without thought that we wish we could have pulled them back. Reckless words pierce like a sword. We've all been pierced. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. Now, in order to speak wise words, you have to realize that you have a choice in doing that. That you don't have to react to the situation. That God has given you and I a brain to just pause and to think. And so, in other words, what I'm saying is that you're never persuasive when you're abrasive. You never get your point across by being cross. Will you write this down? Truth without love is resisted. Truth with love is received. And I have discovered in 40 plus years of ministry that people grow faster through personal, positive, and practical messages than they do negative messages. Take a look at Ephesians 4, 29. Do not use harmful words, but only helpful words, the kind that build up and provide what is needed. And so as you are in this conversation, you are thinking, if I say this, is this going to be helpful or is this going to harm? 
Is this going to hurt or is this going to build? The sixth biblical principle is that you fix the problem and not the blame. Now here's what you and I need to realize. We only have so much emotional energy to either fix the problem or fix the blame. We don't have emotional energy for both. Now understand, people that blame are lame. They actually are hurting themselves and the relationship. Now related to this, of fixing the problem and not the blame, you have to establish ground rules on words that you use. I call them WMDs, words of mass destruction. Do you remember Russia and and America when they were at odds with one another in the Cold War? They had WMDs, weapons of mass destruction. And within those weapons of mass destruction, they had mad missiles. Mutually assured destruction missiles. In other words, if we use our missiles on you and you use our missiles on us, we're not going to exist at all. And so at this peace conference, there are some WMDs that you don't use. If you're married, you don't use divorce. You don't use, hey, if if you don't do this, I'm just going to walk out. No. No. Now, God gives us some specific things that are out of bounds. Take a look at Colossians 3.8. You must rid yourself. Notice this isn't an option. You must rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. What does it mean, anger, rage? Really, those are one word in the Greek, okay? In other words, you don't try to intimidate through anger. No, 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 that's off limits. Through malice. In other words, through words that hurt. Through slander. Through insults. Through dirty language. Why? Because little people belittle others through their words. Now, why is this so important? Because it's not up to us to judge them. Take a look at what Paul says in Romans 14, 13. Let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. The reason why you don't fix the blame is that blame is a form of judgment. And only God knows the true motive of the person that you're speaking to. So you don't blame. The last one is you focus on reconciliation and not resolution. There is a huge difference between reconciliation and resolution. Reconciliation means reestablishing the relationship. Resolution means resolving every issue. Now that second one, Resolving every issue is never going to happen in your lifetime and in my lifetime with anybody on this planet Earth because we're all incompatible, aren't we? Because we're all different. We have different ages, different experiences, different personalities. There are different genders. 
So the question is this, how, is it possible to be in a loving relationship without agreeing on every subject? Sure. You can have resolu reconciliation without resolution if you learn how to disagree without being disagreeable. And guess what? That takes wisdom. If you learn to walk hand in hand without seeing eye to eye on every issue. And guess what that takes? That takes wisdom. If you focus on the relationship and not every negative thing, that's called wisdom. Because you know that there are some things that you're never going to change about that person. And so I say this, let it go. Focus on the positives and not the negatives. I share this because we live in a culture today where everybody is longing and loves peace. And yet there is so much polarization in our culture. And my prayer for you and I in our relationships in the church, in our families, in our community, in our workplaces, with Democrats and Libertarians and liberals and conservatives, is that we will be a people who will focus on reconciliation. That we won't just be a people that loves peace, but that we will be peacemakers. That we will understand first and foremost that peace comes, like Paul says in Romans 1 through 11, as we get peace with Christ. And we get him in our hearts because that is the power of the gospel to bring peace. Though it doesn't solve every issue, it sure hasn't with me between God and myself. I mean, there's still issues in my life I'm sure God would like to address. But he says, you know what? I'm at peace with you because of what you've done with my son, Jesus Christ, in receiving him. My prayer for us is that you and I will be peacemakers and that we will start with the gospel of Jesus Christ in our community. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you that in our need, you saw how hurt we were due to the sin that is in our world and that has crept into our life. And you came you took the initiative by sending your son to die on the cross for our mistakes. That we might not only have our sins forgiven, that we might not only have a place in heaven, that we, but that we might have peace with you. This morning, 
I don't know where you're at in your relational world. As you look over the horizon, I don't know what conflict is out there for you. But until you say yes to Jesus Christ, there ain't going to be any peace with those others. Because peace first starts within, with our Creator, through His Son, Jesus Christ. And will you just say, if you haven't, if you haven't made peace with God, through the gospel, Christ coming, living, perfect life, dying on the cross for your sins, resurrecting the what he said you can take to the bank. If you haven't accepted that and dropped it from your head into your heart, will you do that today? Will you just say, God, I admit I've blown it, but I want to thank you that you sent your son to die for my sins. And right now, I want to drop him from my head into my heart. God, I want to have peace within. I want to have the assurance that what I have done has been wiped clean. That one day when I stand before you, I can look you in the face and know that you won't condemn me. That because of what you've done, I can live a transparent life. That I don't have to fake it until I make it. That I can be real. That I can be transparent. If you prayed that prayer, simple as it was in your own heart, would you just let me know? Take the communication card that's in front of you and just give me your name, maybe an email address, and I'd love to email you some stuff that'll help you on your new journey. God, I just pray. I pray for your people who are called by your name that we would be the peacemakers that you would give us wisdom from above on how to bring peace into our world. Though we may not be able to solve every issue, God, we can solve some. And so give us wisdom, God. Lead us and guide us. We look to you to do these things. In your son's precious name we pray. Amen.